Welcome back to Shnai Mikra, the OU podcast series on Parshat HaShavua. This is Menachem Liebtag, and in today's show we continue our study of Parshat Korach with Shlishi, the third Aliyah. Our Aliyah begins as God enters the scene for the first time in this entire narrative and tells Moshe and Aaron to separate themselves from this group in order that he can consume them or destroy those who have sinned. Before we read this opening pasuk, we have to go back and remember where the story left off at the end of yesterday's Aliyah. There it says in Pasuk Yotet, in verse 19 in chapter 16, Korach had gathered the entire Eidah, and as Rashi explains, this is not just the 250 men, but this is thousands of people of the nation of Israel who have gathered around, anxiously awaiting the outcome of this test, hoping that God will now allow everyone to bring korbanot, as Korach had claimed, Ki kulam k'toshim, everyone's holy, and therefore everyone can bring a korban, and that was the purpose of this test. We're now awaiting the outcome, and in Pasachaf, where Shlishi begins, God tells Moshe and Aaron as follows, Adonai Moshe ve'el Aaron lemor. God spoke to Moshe and Aaron, saying, hazot, Separate yourselves from this Eidah, from this group, utam karaga, and I will consume them, or destroy them immediately. It's not clear which Eidah is God referring to. One possibility is the 250 men in Korach who have gathered now in front of the Omoed and challenging the decision that only Kohanim can bring Korbanot. If that's the case, God is threatening to kill the 250 men, which ends up being the final result. The other possibility is that God is saying, I'm going to kill the entire Eidah meaning the entire nation of Israel, or maybe not the entire nation, but at least the Eidah, that large group that had gathered back in Pasuk Yotet, a group that we could call the spectators, or the gawkers, anxiously awaiting for a result that would allow them as well to bring Korbanot in the future. Let's keep this question in mind in regard to which Eidah is God referring to as we read the next Pasuk and the reaction of Moshe and Aaron to God's instruction. Pasuk Habet, Moshe and Aaron fell on their faces. Here for sure, it's a type of tefillah, a type of prayer, as they now turn to God. And they ask God as follows, El basar, God, who is the God of all the spirits for all flesh. Does it make sense that one person would sin and God would become angry at the entire Eidah? Here we have the same question. Who are Moshe and Aaron praying for? Are they turning to God and saying, save the entire congregation and don't punish them because of the sin of this 250 in Korach, even though they agree that the 250 men should be punished? Or are they complaining to God about his intention to kill the 250 men because in their eyes the request seems to be sincere? And hence they're saying it doesn't make sense that because of Korach, one person, you should punish the 250 men. We could rephrase our question and say, is Ishechad referring only to Korach? Or is Ishechad referring to the 250 men in Korach? If Korach is the Ishechad, then Moshe and Aaron are asking to save the 250, and they are the Eidat that God wants to kill. If that's the case, God does not answer this prayer of Moshe and Aaron. And for the first time in Chumash, Moshe's prayer goes unanswered. Or is Ishechad referring to this group of rebels, the 250 men, led by Korach? And the Eidah is referring to the entire congregation. And now Moshe returns to his prayer on behalf of the entire nation and wants to save this nation 
who are about to be punished because of the sin of a small group. If that's the case, Moshe's prayer is answered, as we'll see in the next set of Psukim. And we have a situation very similar to his prayer after the sin of the golden calf, where only a small portion were killed, only the 3,000 troublemakers, but not the entire nation. Let's keep this question in mind as we read God's answer to Moshe. By Taber Adonai Moshe Lemor, Taber El Heidah Lemor, tell the Eidah, saying, Go up and away, or withdraw yourself from around the Mishkan of Korach, Datan, and Aviram. This phrase should catch everyone by surprise. What on earth is Mishkan, Korach, Datan, Baviram? Does Mishkan here refer to a place of worship like the Mishkan and the Oil Moed, and there's an alternate Mishkan somewhere else in the camp? Or does Mishkan mean the dwelling or the party headquarters of Korach, Datan, and Aviram? And where is it located? It can be located at the same place as the Ohel Moed, because in response to this command, what does Moshe do? Pasach verse 25, By Yaakov Moshe, Moshe gets up, by Yelech el Datan Baviram. He goes to Datan Baviram, which means they're away from the Ohel Moed. And the elders of Israel follow Moshe to go challenge Datan and Aviram. Recall from yesterday's Aliyah that Datan and Aviram did not answer the summons of Moshe Rabbeinu to come to the Omoid. They remain in their own camp. And their headquarters, probably the headquarters of this rebellion, has a new name that Chumash refers to as Mishkan, Korach, Datan, and Aviram. Notice once again how elusive the Psukim are, but when you read between the lines, a very clear picture begins to emerge. There are two different groups that are rebelling against Moshe and Aaron. There's one group of the 250 who challenged the priesthood and God's decision that only Kohanim can bring Korbanot. They're gathering now in the Oamoed, bringing their firepans to test out, can they indeed offer Korbanot? But there's another group led by Tatan and Aviram who have a political complaint against Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership and their headquarters is most likely in the tribe of Ruvain because that's where Datan and Aviram are from. But their headquarters name includes Korach in its title. It's called Mishkan Korach Datan and Aviram. Because this group is challenging Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership, Moshe himself goes to the Mishkan of Korach Datan and Aviram, together with the elders of Israel, the other political leaders. But Aaron remains back in the Oel Moed, together with Korach and the 250 men bringing Torah. Notice how we have two different groups of dissension against Moshe, but each one with a different claim. The only thing that both groups have in common is Korach himself. Korach is with the 250, and Korach clearly is also identified with Datan and Aviram because the party headquarters is called Mishkan Korach Datan and Aviram. Even though both groups are in different locations, God's instruction to Moshe is identical to save both groups. Let's read now in Pasach Havav what Moshe tells the group that is gathered outside Mishkan Korach Datan and Aviram, Pasach Havav, by Daber El Ha'idalimor. Now Moshe speaks to this Eidah, a different group that's gathered now outside Datan and Aviram. Withdraw yourself. Go away from the tents of these evil people. Don't touch anything that has to do with them. Lest you be collected up or swept away with all their sins. From this Pasuk, it seems that God's answer to the prayer motion our own, not to punish the larger group for the sins of the smaller group, is a qualified yes. In other words, the group that's gathered around and watching and sort of gawking and hoping that this dissension group is going to win 
in order for them not to be punished, they have to disassociate themselves with that dissension group. Even though they themselves are doing nothing wrong, the very fact that they stand and are waiting and anxiously want the outcome to be positive, that itself gives strength to these dissension groups that are leading this rebellion. In order to save themselves from the punishment that God wants to bring on the rebellious people themselves, they have to do an act that shows that they disassociate themselves from these rebellious groups. So let's see now what happens after this warning. Pasach of Zion, verse 27. Those who answered this warning of Moshe withdrew themselves from the Mishkan of Korach, Datan, and Aviram. However, Vedatan Baviram Yatsunitzavim Petach Oalehem Unshehem Uvnehem Vetapam. Not everyone left, Datan and Aviram went out and stood brazenly in defiance of Moshe at the front of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little children. Now before Moshe is going to execute the punishment that God has instructed him to give, he gives a final warning and explanation to the people who have gathered around. With this miracle that's about to happen, everyone should know that God has sent me to do these things and I am not making it up and I'm not doing this for myself. In other words, Moshe is saying, don't think that I'm some magician or don't think that I'm making all these decisions myself. Whatever decision I've made, be it the exclusivity of Aaron's priesthood, or be it the decision to stay in the desert and not continue the march to the land of Israel, the decree that God had made after the sin of the spies, Moshe wants to make it crystal clear that he is only a messenger of God and not making these decisions himself. If this group of people die by natural causes or in a natural manner, they die the way normal people die, then God did not send me. However, the imbriya yivra Adonai. But if God will create a special type of creation, and the earth will open up its mouth and swallow they and everything that comes with them, and they will go down to Sha'ol, down to the depths of underground, then everyone who witnesses this will know that this group has made God very angry, and this is a rebellion against God and not against Moshe. Notice the word na'atza, against God. It's the same verb that Chumash used with the sin of the spies, with Chetam Raglim and Parshat Shlach, when God is very disappointed and angered by the behavior of his nation, the verb the Chumash uses is na'atza. When Moshe finished speaking all these words of warning, the ground that was below them cracked or opened up, the land opened up its mouth, and it swallowed them and all their houses, and all the men that were with Korach and all of their possessions. In other words, this party headquarters, referred to as Mishkan, Korach, Datan, and Aviram, everyone standing who remained there, which included Datan and Aviram, and their families, and all of Korach's supporters who were there as well, and all their possessions were all swallowed up by the ground. They, and everything with them, went down alive to Sheol. Sheol in Tanakh is the name of the depths 
where people go when they die underground. The land covered them over. And they were lost from the entire congregation. All of Israel who were around witnessing this event ran away when they heard this noise. Because they said, if we don't run away, the land may swallow us up as well. Therefore they ran away in the fear that they too may be swallowed up. The message and warning that Moshe had given seems to have made its point. This sounds like the end of the story, but there's a little detail that we've totally forgotten about. What happened to the 250 men standing in the Ohamoid with Korah bringing the Torah? When yesterday's Aliyah ended, we were waiting for the outcome. When today's Aliyah began, Moshe prayed for that group to save the people who were watching that God had threatened to kill. But in God's answer, Moshe is instructed to go to a different location, to Mishkan Korach Datana Naviram, where there's political dissension, and that group, they, their followers, and their headquarters, is swallowed up by this earthquake. But we didn't find out yet what happened to the people bringing the Torah. The answer for that finally comes in Pasach Lamed Hay, when our camera switches back to the original location in the Oel Moed. Verse 35, Fire went out from God, Patochal et hachamishim umatayim ish makrivei haktoret and ate up the 250 men who offered the incense. In other words, if you pay careful attention to the psukim, there are two different types of punishments. One punishment was for the political rebellion that was taking place in the tribe of Ruvain at a headquarters called Mishkan Korach Datana Naviram. Their punishment was being swallowed up by the ground. Another punishment took place at the location of the Ohomoed where the 250 men who were challenging the exclusivity of the priesthood of Aaron, they were punished with a different death. Their fire came from God and consumed them. These two punishments respectively reflect the two different rebellions and the two different locations that we saw in our study up until now. The big question is, how did Korach die? The last time we saw Korach, he was with the 250 men bringing the Ktorat. However, the area that was swallowed up was referred to by Chumash as Mishkan Korach Datan and Aviram. If it's two different locations, Korach can't be in two places at the same time. So where was he? Chazal raised this question in Mesechet Sanhedrin Dab Kufyud, where we find several opinions. One opinion is that Korach was not among those who were swallowed up. How do they prove it? Because it says, back in Pasek Lamed Bet, V'tiftach ha'aretzet piya, v'tivla utam v'tbatehem, v'tkol ha'adama shel Korach, v'tkol rechush. All of Korach's men were swallowed up. His political followers, Datan and Aviram, were swallowed up. But it never mentions that Korach himself was at Mishkan Korach, Datan and Aviram. His name might have been on the sign outside the headquarters, but he himself was not spotted there in this incident. On the other hand, one opinion is he wasn't among those who were burnt. Because the Pasek says specifically the 250 men were burnt, the Makrivehak Torah. Korach was together with the 250, but not one of the 250. Could it possibly be that Korach himself was not killed? That can't be, because in Parshat Pinchas and Perech Havav, in Pasuk Tet and Yud, where describes the genealogies of the tribe of Ruvain and the children of Eliav, mentioning the Tanan Aviram, it mentions that the Tanan Aviram were swallowed up by the ground when Korach died together with the Eidah. So we know for sure that Korach died. But in that Pasuk as well, it's not crystal clear whether he died among those who were swallowed up or whether he died among those who were burnt by the fire. Chazal give a much deeper answer, again in Masechet Sanhedrin, and explain that Korach received a double death sentence. That first, he was burnt by the fire together with those rebelling against the priesthood of Aaron, 
And then his body rolled to the Machaneh of Ruvain, to the camp of Ruvain, and there he was swallowed up by the ground. What Chazal we're pointing out reflects our discussion thus far that there are two different groups rebelling against Moshe, each with a different agenda and each for a totally different reason. One a political revolt and one a religious revolt. The only thing that these two groups of dissension have in common is their leader. Korach makes himself the leader of both groups. This is a classic example of leadership that one has to be careful of. Sometimes you have dissension groups and it sounds like they have a good case. But the question is, what's their underlying motivation? Is the underlying motivation of Korach, Amisor becoming a Mamlechet Kohenim Vigoy Kadosh, becoming a nation representing God? Or is he someone who's power hungry? Is his real goal to take over leadership of Israel? Does he have political ambitions? And he's using a group of people who are unhappy by some of his decisions and riling them up and leading them against Moshe. And is he also taking a group of people who are unhappy with Moshe's political leadership and riling them up and getting them to rebel, where his real goal is not the glory of God, but rather his own political gain. When one reads carefully between the Psukim, it's quite clear that Korach's goal is his own political gain, and that can explain the ambiguity in the opening Pasuk of Aikach Korach. What did Korach take? He took himself aside, but he took himself and attached himself to two different groups, where his real goal was not the betterment of the nation of Israel, but his own political ambitions. That's why Chazal and Pirkei Avot refer to the Machloket of Korach as a Machloket Shalol Hashem Shemaim, in contrast to the Machloket of Beit Hillel and Beit Shemai, which is a Machloket Hashem Shemaim. There are times for dissent, and sometimes the religious establishment needs people complaining, and sometimes political leadership needs people complaining because they are not always correct. But it's important that those who complain are complaining not for political power and not for personal gain, but rather for the glory of God, the ability to understand whether someone is complaining and their interests are sincere and their goal is to make Am Yisrael a better nation representing God or are their interests simply political and personal. The only way to figure that out is for the person himself to carefully ask himself, what are my real motivations? And the people listening to these complaints to ascertain, is this person sincere or is he using this as a stepping stone for a different type of ambition? Korak's own great-grandson, Shmuel, leads religious reform and political reform. He does it in a positive manner, again, the Shem Shemaim, but we also find throughout Jewish history people who cause trouble for political reasons and for personal ambition, those people we have to be careful of, finding the balance between those two, how to be aware of both the need to challenge, but also the need to be careful of those who are changing things for the wrong reason, the manner in which Chumash records the story of Pasha Korah can give us some guidance and how to deal with that problem throughout history. Let's continue now with Perak Zain with chapter 17 where we have to deal with the aftermath of this tragic event. Pasuk Aleph, by Daber Adonai and Moshe Lemor. God now commands Moshe as following, Emor el Elazar ben Aron HaKohen, give this commandment to Elazar, the son of Aaron, who is permitted to go into the Oel Moed, Vayerim et hamachtot mibin hasrifa, vetaish zrihala ki kadeshu. God commands Moshe to tell Elazar to go to the Oel Moed to collect all the firepans from this burning that took place of these 250 men to take the coals and scatter them far and wide because these fire pans have become sacred. These fire pans that were offered by these souls who had sinned These fire pans, because they were used in the service of God, we cannot throw them out. So therefore, 
God commands them to take these fire pans and use them as a covering for the Mizbeach because they became sacred when they were offered. And by using them as a covering for the Mizbeach, they will become a sign, a reminder for the children of Israel of what happened. Recall that the Machtot were made out of copper, out of Nechoshet, and the Mizbeach is also covered in Nechoshet. Therefore, we're going to take these fire pans and hammer down this copper in a manner that we can use the copper to plate the Mizbeach. Pasuk David, Vaykach Elazar Kohen et Machtot HaNechoshet asher hikrivu hasrufim, Vayrakum tzipui lamizbeach. Just as God had commanded, Elazar took these copper fire pans and he hammered them down and used them as a covering for the Mizbeach. Zikaron livnei Yisrael, in a manner that they will become a remembrance for the children of Israel, Laman asher lo yikrav ishzar, so that someone who is not a priest should not come close, asher lo mizera Aronhu, who is not from the family of Aaron, to bring incense before God. He should not be like Korach and his group, his Edah. Just as God explained to Moshe Rabbeinu about him, Rashi explains lo means about Korach, that only the family of Aaron can bring Korbanot. In order for people to understand that, we're going to cover the Mizbeach with the same copper that was used by these fire pans. The next day, the people of Israel continued to complain. They complained against Moshe and Aaron, saying, You killed God's people. They cannot be complaining about the land that swallowed up Tatan and Aviram and the followers of Mishkan, Korach, and Tatan and Aviram, because that was clear to everyone that that was an act of God. However, the other group, the 250 men who brought the Ktoret, who seemed to have a very legitimate claim that everyone can bring a Korban, and the test was proposed by Moshe Rabbeinu himself, Now the nation is gathered again against Moshe and Aaron, very angry with what has happened, and they turn towards the Ahomoed, and the glory of God appears to save Moshe and Aaron from this gathering of the people. Moshe and Aaron come to the entrance of the Ohmoed, they're going to be saved by the cloud from the people. Once again, the Aliyah ends in the middle of the story. There are a lot of questions here that need further discussion, but because today's Aliyah was very long and tomorrow's Aliyah is very short, we're going to discuss what happened in the beginning of chapter 17 as the story continues in Ravi, tomorrow's Aliyah.